Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, today we begin a brand new series. It's called Alpha and Omega. And over the next several months, we will be looking at two books, Genesis and Revelation. Now, a lot of people get excited when we talk about Revelation because it's things to come. And, 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 and pastors get asked regularly, hey, why don't we study the book of Revelation? Well, that's a tough book to preach, but we're going to cover that after we cover Genesis. I want you to know this morning that before you can understand Revelation, which is the bookend on the right, you must understand Genesis, the bookend on the left. I want you to understand that Revelation Revelation on the right is no more important, no more significant, and honestly, no greater than Genesis, the bookend on the left. I want you to understand that if you can't wrap your mind around Genesis, if you never get a firm understanding, you never plant your feet on something in Genesis, Revelation will never mean anything to you. And I'll take it a step further, neither will the other books between the two bookends. And so we're going to look at Genesis, and I want to tell you what I believe about Genesis. I believe it's real, I believe it's accurate, I believe it's history historical fact. I believe in a young earth. I believe in six literal days of creation. You may be here today and you have another idea. That's fine. But you're not going to preach here at the church of Turkey Hills. All right. Now you may say, well, I believe in a gap theory that there's a large gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-1 and the rest of the 30 verses in Genesis. That's the gap theory. You, you may believe in a, in a day-age theory that each day of the six creation days, there's billions of years. You can believe that if you want to. But there's a huge problem with that idea, a huge problem. For any of that to happen, death happens before chapter 3. And if death happens before chapter 3, it's out of sync with when God said that death happens. And so it becomes a, a real problem. Now, let me just be honest with you. I've been to college. I've been to high school. Didn't graduate magna cum laude. Graduated thank the laude. And it was good. All right? And here's the deal. I heard all of the ideas. I read the science books. Let me tell you, students and adults, when you read, it, when you read a, a, a textbook at whatever level, fourth grade through 20th grade, wherever you're at in this journey called education. When you read a science book, I want you to know something. Science is an always moving idea. When a new scientist comes along who, along who discovers, uncovers uh, this new idea, they change things. And, and if you, you don't have to just believe the pastor. You can go dig up some old science books from the past and the age of the earth changes about every time that they reprint those books. What well, used to be 71 billion, now it's 36 billion. Oh no, it's 43 billion years old. All of that stuff. Let me tell you something something about this textbook. It never changes. It was written, Genesis written 3,400 years ago, and it has not changed. Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, still says to you today that God created everything in six literal days, and that's what I believe. Now, you can, you can struggle with that. You can struggle with it. You really can. I struggled with it for a long time. I read a lot of stuff, studied a lot of stuff. And until I finally said, you know what, just let me let God be God, 
and let the world be the world. The Bible would say, let God be truth and every man a liar. And so I say, let God be God and men be men. And I'm just going to plant my feet on God's word. Okay. I'm 55 years old and I still believe that. And if you think for a fraction of a second, you're going to convince me otherwise, go try to convince your mama of something because it ain't happening here. All right. Because I believe God is big enough to speak and say what he wants to say. I believe God is more, is powerful enough and knowledgeable enough to say exactly, precisely what he wants to say. I believe God said what he meant, meant what he said. It's that simple. And you can do the same thing. So I want to give you a, a challenge or a warning that don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe every documentary you watch on television because a lot of that is built on what is common, commonly today called fake news, just saying, okay? A lot of the stuff is fake news. It really is. I mean, it's just, it's just somebody's idea. Now, listen, it didn't start in the 21st century. It started in chapter 3, which we'll probably cover next Sunday, okay? This idea of discrediting God's word because if you can knock the props out of God's word, which would be the foundation Genesis, if you can bring into question the very foundation of God's word, the rest of it begins to crumble. So I want you to know that God's inerrant, infallible word is accurate and you can believe it. The title of the message is called, It All Starts Here. Look at your neighbor and say, it all starts here. And I want you to know that's not an overstatement of the facts. It's not just a, a general statement. It's a profound reality that it starts in Genesis. It starts in Genesis, and we've got to consider it, and we've got to decide what we believe about this book. Now, I want to read from a science journal to begin what happens in our world sometimes uh, with individuals, with people who don't know God, who don't believe in God. Okay, but this is what happens. This is what they say, and this is how they are renowned. This is how they are appreciated for what they say. For, this is from the science, a science journal. It says, for over a uh, century, scientists have recognized that all natural phenomena in the universe can ultimately be divided into interactions between five basic fundamental manifestations. <laughs> I didn't write that. Okay. Uh, in, in 1882, 135 years ago approximately, it's, uh, a staunch evolutionist, Herbert Spencer, was recognized for his brilliance in the science and academic arena. He was also nominated for the Nobel Prize for Literature. He was an English professor, biologist, sociologist who was prominent, a prominent classical liberal political theorist of the Victorian era. <laughs> Sounds pretty impressive, right? <laughs> Not so much. Uh, he recognized, this is, this is what he's famous for, likenesses and unlikenesses among phenomena. He then categorized everything in existence and claimed that they could be segregated into manifestations. He would call these he would call these categories of the knowable. The categories are these: time, force, motion, space, and matter. Now that's pretty stinking incredible, isn't it? 
that 135 years ago, before science really as we know it, before technology as we know it, okay, that this bird woke up one day and determined that everything can be categorized into knowable manifestations called time, force, uh, time, force, motion, matter, and space. Pretty cool. Y'all are about as impressed as I was, not so much. Okay, well, I want you to understand today, this is what we do. This is, this is how our world operates, okay? We find somebody who's educated often beyond their tele- intelligence, and, 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 and they come up with this idea, and everybody celebrates them. Like they've come up with this amazing new idea that this revol- revolutionary, revelationary idea has surfaced, and now we celebrate an individual, a man, okay? And I want you to know something today, that God often is not near as impressed with mankind as we are impressed among ourselves. And so it all starts right here. So that's what, that's what this Herbert Spencer guy was recognized for. I want to show you today as we begin our journey through the book of Genesis. It starts right here. Genesis 1 verse 1. Check it out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pause. Intentionally. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, time, God force, created, motion, heavens, space, earth, matter. What we celebrate a guy for in 1882, we had in the very first verse of God's forever infallible counsel, his word, 3,400 years ago, penned by a guy named Moses. I want to tell you something today. When men get celebrated for their knowledge, when, it, when, when we claim knowledge that God has already professed and confessed and given to us in his scripture, God looks at that man and says, you're a fool. In fact, for somebody who, who, to deny the existence of God, he says that person is a fool. In fact, in Psalms, in the book of Psalms, verse 14, verse one, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So when we go back to the very beginning of God's counsel, he tells you, he tells me all about our origin. Now listen to me. The book of Genesis by name means beginnings or origin. It tells us where we came from. It tells us why we're here. The whole thing tells us that God has created us for a purpose. Now here's the real question. Why are we even here? It's a good question. Why are we here? Why did he do this thing the way he did? Well, I want to tell you something about God. He's about his glory. He deserves it. He's a glorious God. You deserve none of the glory, okay? All of the glory is God's. Now, so, so knowing that, that he's a, a glorious God who deserves all the glory and, 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 and he does everything to his glory, why would he create mankind? He looked through all of time and he saw that if he created something in his image, mankind. And if he knew in advance, which we'll talk about, that they would sin against him, how could he get glory from that? He could have created us without a choice to sin, without a free will, and we would have been human robots. What's the glory in human robots? I have, I raised two children, and I could have beat them into submission on every day, but where's the glory? Where's the joy of that love? But when they willingly chose to love me, It was sweet. And so God created mankind in his image, knowing that they would sin. 
Where's the glory in that? The glory in that is this, that God looked and he saw that the only way to make that right was to come from heaven and personally die on their behalf so that those who would choose to fall under his grace would forever be his sons and daughters and give him glory. You can't write a story any better than that. And that's what God did. Now, I want us to see today that God has done this amazing thing. I remember a few years ago, we were at a basketball game and one of my students was playing basketball. He's a big overgrown guy and the refs weren't doing very good. And his dad, who has a very loud voice, his dad is, is, is sitting right down here and he's screaming the whole game. And have you ever been to a game and you screamed when everybody else stopped screaming and you look like a royal idiot? And so everybody stopped like simultaneously screaming and he's got his hands cupped. And this is what he says to the ref. Hey, ref, read your manual. That would be called a rule book, Einstein. But he said, read the manual. You know what? People, read the manual. This is your manual for life. He has told you everything you need to know to live a productive life, a God-pleasing life, and find the pathway that leads us to spend forever with him in the glorious place called heaven. Now, it's important that we read the right manual because there's a whole lot of people will take a, a textbook or a YouTube video or a conference and decide that's going to be their manual for life. And some of us in here today believe in evolution. You believe that your great, 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 great uncle Jimmy was a monkey. And okay, mine was not. I was created in the image of God and God is not a monkey. And a monkey was not created in the image of God. And so it's important that we read the right manual. Let me give you an example. I bought a pickup truck a few months ago and in the glove box was a manual, an owner's manual. Now, if I want to know how to program my radio, if I want to know what the instrument panel means, if I want to know what to put the air pressure in the tires on, I can find it right here in this owner's manual. It's important that pertaining to my Chevrolet truck, I read the Chevrolet manual because Chevrolet manufactured my Chevrolet truck. Okay, it does me no good if I'm trying to get understand my instrument panel if I go home and get Kendra's manual for her KitchenAid mixer. It does me no good, honestly, if I come to you and get your manual for your Kia. It does no good. I have to read the manual that comes with the vehicle because it is written by the manufacturer of the vehicle and it pertains to the vehicle. God has manufactured us. He has created us in his image and he has given us a manual and it's this and, 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 and it's okay to read other stuff. I challenge you to read other contradictory ideas, but do not, do not trump God's word with something that comes out of the heart and the mind and the mouth of a man, unless it is in alignment with the scripture. Now in Genesis chapter one, verse one, he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That seems fairly simple, doesn't it? I mean, there's not really that much there, is there? This is a profound statement. This introduces God to mankind. This is God's introduction of himself. It's not a grand biography. 
It's not a uh, resume. He doesn't give us credentials. He doesn't give us past experiences or accomplishments. He doesn't tell us his origin. He doesn't tell us how it all came into be. He simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's really important that you see the magnitude of this one statement. John uh, John Phillips, who's a commentary writer, he says this, in one verse, God sweeps away atheism by his all-powerful pre-existence. In one verse, he extinguishes polytheism by declaring himself to be one God. In one verse, he closes the door to pantheism by separating himself from the matter that he has created. And so everything else in the Bible hinges on what you do with Genesis chapter one. It matters. I heard a preacher that the young people would be very, very familiar with. Middle-aged people somewhat familiar. Older people probably never heard of him. But he's a powerful preacher, very popular. And I heard him say this about Genesis 1. He said, I'm not going to take a position regarding evolution or when it happened or how creation happened because, honestly, none of us were there. And that's a true statement. None of us were there. We're not eyewitnesses. But Genesis is written by an eyewitness. Genesis is given from God, who was an eyewitness to the account. Genesis is the record of what God did, given through the Holy Spirit into the heart of a man named Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. It is an eyewitness account. I was not there. You were not there, but he was there. Now listen to me. Why is it so important that we hold on to the truth of God's word beginning in Genesis? Watch this. Let's spin the timetable forward about 4,000 years, roughly. And we get the gospel of John. And we get in the third chapter of the gospel of John, an amazing little verse, John 3, 16. And we're familiar with it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now watch this. If you believe that the gospel of John chapter 3 verse 16 is true, say I do and raise your hand. It's amazing. We do. Why? Why, why, why do you believe that? You weren't an eyewitness to that either. Why do we believe it? Because we want to believe it. Why do we believe it? Because the Holy Spirit of God has reached down into the depth of our soul and whispered, ah, I love you. I died for you. I want you to be mine. We believe it because the Holy Spirit has revealed it as truth. We believe it because it's included in the canon called Scripture, Genesis through Revelation. We believe it because it's in Scripture and we want God to know, to say what he's done and how much he loves us. We want to hear that message. And you know what? We believe it simply because it's in this book. And the same thing is true about Genesis. Do you understand that? If you say, well, you know what? I believe in a gap theory. I believe in an age theory. I believe in this. I believe in that. I believe in evolution. I believe in... Okay, whatever. Take Genesis. Let's just... Because Genesis, I mean, it's really not factual. It's metaphorical. It's hyperbolic. It's poetry. It's literature. It's everything but factual history. So let's just snip it out of our Bible. Let's just snip it out. 
because it doesn't align itself with science, <laughs> whatever. It doesn't align itself with what I want to believe. Let's just snip it out. Okay, then let's just get to Exodus. Well, I don't know if I believe everything in Exodus. I mean, there's some craziness in there, right? There's some craziness in there. There's parting of a sea. Now, I'm not believing it's a sea. I believe it's just a little marshy land. This is all this stuff. I mean, I got an answer for it. I remember struggling with this stuff. I remember hearing people say, preachers, educated people say, well, even the parting of the Red Sea, it was not at flood season, and it was just, it was very shallow. It's probably ankle deep. And I remember thinking, it was. And then I thought, he drowned all of Egypt's army in ankle deep water. <laughs> That's even cooler. Okay? That's how we have to look at scripture. We have to say, let God be God. Let God speak the truth. And any other man who stands against it be what God would call a liar. That's cool. That's cool. You remember when you were a kid, you called somebody liar, liar, pants on fire, right? I was in Alabama. <laughs> had this kid in the youth group. He was not the brightest kid in the group. And I remember one day somebody was lying. He, he was in sixth grade. He says, liar, liar, big fat cheater. I'm like, what is that? Okay. Well, you know what? You say, what's that got to do with it? Sometimes we just need to look at the devil and his world and say, liar, liar, big fat cheater. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Just believe God because God cannot lie. And why would he want to? He's instructing you about him. He's laying the groundwork that leads us to a place where we can know him. So it's important that we understand that it starts right here. So the first point on the back of your worship guide is omnipresence. Now that's a big word, but it's a cool word. We're going to talk about some omni words today because I want you to be aware of them because they are words that in one word caption or capture a truth about who God is. Because it's really important that we have a big understanding of God, a big view of God and a small view of us. Omnipresence means all existing in all time. Okay. That means he's always present all time. You remember what Herbert Spencer said? One of the first knowable categories, time. Well, God created time for us. He, his beginning is not your beginning. Now, I, want you, I want you to understand this because this is kind of heavy. All right, God did not begin when in the beginning God created. The earth began and we began in the beginning God created. God extends back before this beginning. This is our beginning. This is not his beginning. He had no beginning. Look at your neighbor and say, he had no beginning. What does that even look like? Everything has a beginning. My wife and I have been married for 32 years. Our, our relationship had a beginning. I have children. They had a beginning. I have a grandson. He had a beginning. This is a church. It had a beginning. You have a job, it had a beginning. Everything has a beginning, right? Everything has a beginning. God has no beginning, here's why. Because God transcends outside the realm, the dimension of time. Time was created for you, not for him. He is beyond time. Before there was matter at creation, there was no time. Because before he cast the, 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 the moon and the sun to determine day and night, there was no time. That's for you. That's for us. God extends eternally past before in the beginning God created. Do you, I want you to just understand that just a sec. It's really hard. 
It's outside what we think. He's, he goes back before, eternally before time began. And he will extend eternally past when time ends. He is that kind of God. He's an omnipresent God. It says in the beginning. Now, Revelation 1.8 describes a little bit of this. He says, I, God, am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God forever, forever, everlasting to everlasting. God, you're God. Psalm 139 talks about the, omni, the uh, omnipresence of God, how he's everywhere. Now, this is cool to know in a way. Now, listen, he says, Whither, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? He says, if I ascend to heaven, God, you're right there. If I make my way into the bed of hell, behold, God, you're there also. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, God, you're right there. Now, that's cool to think about our God in that big nature, right? That he's everywhere all the time. It's kind of cool. It's not real cool. It's cool when we're doing good. Like we're all in church right now, it's cool. If we weren't here last Sunday and he was right there when you weren't here, it wasn't cool for you, okay? I'm just saying. All right, it's cool that we're right here if we're listening to God's word. It's not cool if we're sitting in church but we ain't paying no attention, we're getting nothing because we're thinking about what we're going, about that roast beef in the crock pot, okay? It's not cool. It's cool when we're helping the lady across the street get her groceries in. It's not cool when we're on the internet looking at something we're not supposed to be looking at. It's cool when we do this. It's not cool when we do that. Listen, God's, God's everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it horrifyingly amazing? It's scary, isn't it? Look at your neighbor and say, that's scary. The second thing I want you to see besides his his omnipresence. I want you to see his omniscience. Now in this word omniscience, you'll see the word science at the end. He's omni-science, okay? <clears throat> he is all-knowing. Now let me, let me help you understand. Let me unpack what it means to be all-knowing. It, mean, it means he knows everything that's ever happened to here. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And eternally in the future, he knows what's going to happen now, let me paint a picture of that for you. In 1991, I took a job in sales and moved to Birmingham, and they issued me a nice company car and a phone, a car phone, 1991. Not that long ago for old people, forever in the past for young people, all right? So in 1991, I had a phone, a car phone. It wasn't called a cell phone. It's called a car phone. You were like the president of the United States. And it weighed about eight pounds. You didn't fit it in your pocket, but you could carry it in the little basket on a golf cart. It was a bag phone, all right? And it was a big handset with one of them little pigtail curl. You couldn't go any further than you could carry that bag or that little curlicue wire would reach, okay? And just like for those of us who remember, every time you hung it up, it would spin once. So ultimately, it'd get all tangled up in a knot. You had to hold the bag right here and your phone right here, all right? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. They didn't see, I didn't see coming a day when I didn't have a bag phone bolted in my car with a hole drilled in the roof for an antenna this tall. I did not see coming a day when I would have a device 
the size of the palm of my hand that would fit in a shirt pocket or my hip pocket that had access to information around the world on the internet and could call anybody on the planet with the press of a button, could watch videos and listen to music and unlock my car and start my car and probably wipe my tail if I got the app, okay? I mean, we didn't see that one coming, all right? Pardon me for that last one. I don't know where that came from. We didn't see it coming, but listen, the whole time God saw that coming. There's no surprise for God for iPhone 15. Okay, we're on 10 now, right? I learned that in the early service, I think. 15, God already knows what's on 15, what apps. He knows what apps are on your phone. That's a scary one. Okay, he already knows. He knows what is not yet knowable. That is the omniscience, the all-knowing, in the beginning, God. And it's in this knowledge that Herbert Spencer would say, force is another knowable category. And let me tell you something. The knowledge of God is the force behind what he does. Because listen, force without knowledge is disaster. Force without knowledge is like oblivion. Force without knowledge is destruction. But God in his knowledge, what he does is he brings everything into existence. Why? In the beginning, God. The word there is Yahweh. Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. If you were Jew a Masoretic Jew, and you penned scripture. When you're writing scripture, when you got to these four letters, you were terrified. And so because you were afraid that you were going to be un- irreverent in the way you wrote it, that you were going to write his name with an, with an unclean heart or unclean hands. And so the penman would get up and he would go and have a ceremonial washing. He would change his writing instrument, and then he would come back and write Y-H. W-H. When they spoke his name, because they were fearful of saying it in vain, they would change it and they called him Adonai, which means our Lord. This is the God of verse 1. He is so much more than we are. He is so great and so worthy of everything. And yet often we just slide right past the greatness of who he is. He wants us to know that everything in the book of beginnings in Genesis is all about him. In fact, in 31 verses of Genesis 1, his name by name or personal pronoun appears 41 times. One chapter, 31 verse, the introductory chapter of God's infallible word, 41 times he refers to himself. He wants you to know where it came from and you can trust him. 6,828 times his name appears in the Old Testament. It is all about God. He reveals his knowledge in his word because of all that he does with his nation, with the prophecies that he gives to his people. You can look to the sky and the constellations and it reveals the science, the knowledge of God. You can look at human nature and, 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 and be blown away by the knowledge of God. I, I remember doing a, uh, in middle school, this is how this rocked my world. You know, in your middle school, well, back in the day, now you'd do a computer, some, some three-dimensional graphic. Back in my day, it was poster board, okay? And I remember doing poster board of the inter- the inner, the inner, no T, the inner ear, how the ear works. That's kind of nasty, but there's a little drum in there. 
And it's got little follicles like hair all inside your ears. Now, the older you get, the greater the hair, okay? But you got these little follicles of hair in there. And sound comes in there, and all of those little follicles hear the vibration, transfer it off this drum, send signals to your brain, and you distinguish words and music. And I remember doing that. I was like, there's no way. That's ridiculous. It's true. I remember a friend of mine did one on the eye. And when I saw the eye and found out that when you look at something, you see it upside down. And before you can start walking, you got to turn it right side up. God knew all of that. When he whispered it in the beginning, God created, bam, just like that. Everything complete, everything thought through. Listen, when Adolf Hitler rose to power, in Nazi Germany, God was not on his throne. And the, the angels said, God, I need an appointment. God, have you seen what's going on in Germany? There's a nutbag down there. His name is Hitler, and he's taken over the world, and he hates you, and he hates the Jews. God was not on his throne. He is? Oh, we got to come up with a plan. God was, not, God was not startled. He was not surprised. God saw it. God sees everything, knows everything, past, present, and future. Listen, as if it's all taking place simultaneously at the same time. Now, that's craziness, but that's what he does. That's what he does. And so as we move forward, we need to understand the magnitude of what God has done. Now, listen to this. The, I, I want to show you the science, the omniscience of God. This is really fun. All right. How much knowledge does God have? Well, in the Genesis account, chapter one, in the creation account, okay, um, Moses writes a series of steps, 13 steps of creation. These 13 steps, science will agree, are accurate steps of development. They will agree that for this to be out of order would make the whole thing collapse. So Moses, 3,500 years ago, roughly, wrote 13 very accurate, very structured chronologically events of creation. What's the odds of somebody knowing that 3,500 years ago? I mean, what's the chances of somebody really getting that right? You know? Well, there's a mathematician, a professor in a university, and he, he, he loves doing the odds of things that happen in the Bible. And so Dr. Peter Stoner, a mathematician, suggests that the chances of someone getting these 13 steps accurate and getting them in the proper order, the odds of that is one in 31 sextillion. <laughs> what is that? That's one times 10 to the 31st power. You don't even know what that looks like. You don't even know what that is. You, you can't even wrap your mind around that. So let me help you. To, to, to do that, to have one chance in 31 sextillion, one times uh, one in 31 sextillion, to, to get that, let's do it like a lottery, okay? I don't buy lottery tickets. I hope you don't, but if you do, that's between you and Jesus. I don't, it, the chances are against me, right? A whole lot better buying a lottery ticket than it is this. Let's pretend this is a lottery. To make this happen, here's what they would do they would have to have. Uh, they would have to have 8 million <clears throat> printing presses making 2,000 lottery tickets per minute <laughs> running 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 5 million years. And one of those tickets is a winner. You want to buy one? So you see, that's what, 
That's the omniscience, the knowledge of God. It's, it goes so far beyond anything we can even imagine. And we just go through life and never acknowledge that. But we'll acknowledge some educated bird over here that comes up with some idea or philosophy. And I'm just saying, let's just be very, very careful. Luke 12, 7 says, in fact, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. <laughs> one, one, I, have, I had two daughters. We were talking about this at Passion. I raised two daughters and they had long blonde hair. About every three months, Daddy, my, my, my shower won't drain. I'd have to go up in their bathroom with one of those real good old wire hangers. You know what I'm talking about? Not one of these little plastic ones, one of those, you know, heavy-duty wire ones. I'd have to run it down in there. It was like pulling an alligator out of the drain. And finally, that thing was, whoop, and it'd be a wad of hair. It was nice. And I'd say this, I got it. I got it. Stand back. It's contaminated waste. I got it. Now, here's the point of that. Every time one of those hairs fell out of that, those thick heads of blonde hair, God was like, subtract six. I mean, he's got it all over the world, all at the same time. He's got it. You get that? Do you get it? He is that kind of knowledge. And when he speaks, it's incredible. So he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Thirdly, he's, uh, is his omnipotence. Omnipotence. Now, in the word omnipotence is the word potent, meaning powerful. He is all powerful. Now, this is, this is really cool. This is really cool. In the beginning, God created the power of the creation. This is so cool. I want you to know that when God created everything, he created everything, everything out of nothing at all. He took the absolute nothingness of existence and created the everythingness that we experience. You see, often we take things. My wife may bake a cake and she'll take things, flour and eggs and milk and Whatever else she throws in there, I don't really know. I just eat it. And she brings it all in there, she bakes it, and she takes existing components and creates this cake. God didn't take existing components. God took nothingness and created everything. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo. Look at your neighbor and say, ex nihilo. <clears throat> First Sunday of the year, y'all speaking in tongues. You just spoke in Latin right there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good. All right. It means out of nothing, God created everything. When we were in Alabama, I had a guy led music in my youth group and had a big youth group. And, and he was, he got a presidential scholarship to uh, University of Alabama. And he said, don't worry, I'm going to drive in on Wednesday nights. I'll lead your worship. I said, cool. Well, in June, he went down for his training and uh, went, went for his orientation. And he came back and said, uh, that ain't happening. It's so demanding, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I had to, I, I'd never played a guitar. I, I couldn't even play a radio very good. And, and, and I was looking for, couldn't find anybody. And I go to this music store and a guy, you know, I've told you the story, you know, about he sold me a $300 guitar. I think he put pixie dust on it or something, you know. And, he, you know, and, and, and by that night, I was playing, <laughs> trading my sorrows. You remember that? So that was old school. I traded my sorrows. I was like, this is crazy. What's this? Now, so the name of our band was Ex Nihilo because it was out of nothing that God created a little band. Now, here's what's funny about it. We were terrible, but we were the only band in town. And if you're the only band in town, you're greater than all the rest. <laughs> That's a relative term. How good you are is relative, okay? And, and so it was Ex Nihilo. That was the name of it. And, and, and we taught this because you need to understand God didn't need anything 
God didn't need anything to make everything. And so Hebrews 11.3 helps us know that we just simply need to place our faith in God. Just let him be God. It says in Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, I want to show you something that I have never seen before. It's a new Ten Commandments. You're saying, uh-oh, he's gone nuts. The Ten Commandments shows up in Exodus 20, right? And we all break them. That's the reason that Jesus has to come and save us. The Ten Commandments were not given so that we would realize how good we are. It's to realize how miserably in need of a Savior we are. And we know that Jesus amplified the, the uh, commandments. Oh, thou shalt not kill. Well, if you hate somebody, same thing as killing them. Shoot. Hey, we now have broke that one too, you know. Thou, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I hadn't done that. Well, if you've ever looked at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery. Hate when that happens. Okay, so we're just guilty of all of them. Well, there's 10 commandments that I never saw that arrive, show up before those 10 commandments, and they've never been broken. Well, what? Yeah, that's what I thought. Listen to this. The first one is found in in, uh, Genesis 1 when God says, let there be light, because that's what he says. God said, let. That's a command. He's God said, let there be light, and there was light. Command number one, you know what? Light still is lighting I'm standing in it right now. Light is still being light. The second one is in creation. It says, God said, he commanded, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so, do you understand? It is still so it's still obeying today that there's water on this earth and there's water in the sky. The clouds hold it. God put that together and it still obeys. Number three, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so God created land mass and water mass bodies of water and they still obey. Oh, sure. Occasionally they get a little upset with what's going on in the world. They come crashing on the sea in the form of hurricane or a typhoon or whatever they are. But when it's all said and done, they go right back to their place. You go to the beach. You remember going to the beach and the ocean? You remember when you're little, you can't understand that, man, it freaks you out that you put your, your family sets the umbrella and the lawn chair or whatever you call it, beach chair out there on the water. And about lunchtime, man, the water's coming in. It's coming in. Next thing you know, your cooler's floating down in the ocean. You know what? It, and then, and then, so you move everything back. You eat lunch, and there it goes again. So you move your chair back. Now you're chasing the ocean all day. What is that? Okay, that's what God put in place. And he made it happen with the gravitational pull of the moon because he does that kind of stuff, and it still obeys. Number five, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years and let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky and give light on the earth. And it was so God commanded it and it is still obeying. Now, don't get me wrong. I would like to see a little more sunshine right now. I would like to feel its presence a little bit more right now, but we'll feel it this week. But the sun is still shining by day and the moon is still reflecting by night. Number six, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. They still are. 
They're still doing it. Number seven, God blessed them and said to the animal kingdom and to the birds and to the, uh, to the uh, fish, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on earth. They're still making it happen. Number eight, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Guess what? It is still obeying. A funny story this week, uh, we were at Passion, and one of, the, one of the young ladies that was with us, she got a picture from her dad. This is for East Wolf Valley people, okay? Her dad had shot a wild cat, and it was laying in the bed of his truck, and she thought it was a cheetah. <laughs> like, we live in East Tennessee. It's not a cheetah. It was a bobcat, all right? He was a big one, all right? East Wolf Valley people. Put your chickens up or whatever, your kids or whoever. Listen, there's animal kingdom is still making animal kingdom, all right? It still obeys. Number nine, then God said... Let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over the creatures that move on the earth. We are still in his image. Now our image is distorted since sin, but we are still created in his image. We process, we love, we have emotion, uh, we, 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 we have music. Animal kingdom doesn't have that. We still have a distinct image and it's after the image of God. It, we still obey. And number 10, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We're still obeying that. Right here in this church, we're real good at that. All right. We got a bunch of babies and pregnant women too. Praise the Lord. So I want you to know that God's power is revealed in creation. And one of the things that's real funny is Sometimes we think, wow, God created that. God created that. Man, he's cool. He does some cool stuff. God does not need this creation to give him glory. He has glory without this creation. One of the things that points to that is really funny. It's a phrase in here that's really, really odd in verse 16. We get caught up in the constellations. We get caught up in this, what they call an ever-expanding universe, all right? And they understand how there's bil billions of galaxies, and each galaxy has billions of stars, and, and yet they get so caught up in that. And when it comes to that, God tells us everything about this earth because that's where he was going to put you. He tells us everything about this earth because he's got a plan for this earth. But listen to what he says about all of the other galaxies that's whirling around with perfection in the sky. He says in verse 16, he also made the stars. <laughs> I love that. I love that. The billions of galaxies with billions of stars and he names them and numbers them and calls them to shine and takes accounting note if they disappear or fall from the sky. And it says, oh yeah, he made the stars too. I just think that is so cool. And so that is the God who we have. He's, om, he's omnipresence. He's omniscient. He's om, omnipotent. And lastly, he's omnidirectional. And we're almost done. God's plans include everywhere. Space and matter. As Herbert Spencer would say, heavens and earth. He goes from infinite to infinitesimal. Get that? From infinite to infinitesimal. He goes from the amazing, expanding galaxies, okay, down to the very atomic structure that you are made of. I just think this is so amazing that the God who can do such great things, the God who 
possesses so much power, the God who is beyond anything we can even possibly imagine reveals this truth. Look at the stars. Yeah, I made those also. But then he gets so small. I want you to understand that the Milky Way galaxy that we live in is a very small galaxy. And located in this very small galaxy is a little rock that we call Earth. And it is so small compared to other planets in other galaxies. So small. And then you think about this so small of a rock called Earth, and you're on it. And you just occupy about two square feet of it. So you're occupying two square feet of something that is already small. Do you understand that? And the God who created the vastness of everything comes and whispers into your heart. And he says, hey, John 3, 16, I so much love the world that I came to the world that I created in the form of my only begotten son. And I laid myself down on your wooden cross. And I bled to death to pay a debt that you couldn't pay. And it was a debt that I didn't know. I came from the vastness of everything into your very life to tell you I love you forever. And I want you to be a forever son or daughter of mine. I don't know if that shakes your being like it does mine. But when I realize that God makes his way right down into the smallness of who I am, I'm amazed. I am simply amazed. And I want to confess, 2017 was kind of a tough year for our church. We lost some good people. Lord took them home, and we had some setbacks and failures. But you know what? When I think about this, I get really encouraged about 2018 because God took some of our lives home. God's sending us some new lives. God took some of our believers home. God's going to send us some more believers. Some more people are going to get saved in 2018. God took some encouragement home. God's going to send some more encouragement. God is still God, and I trust him. And I want you to begin, if you haven't already, to just trust God and let God be God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to know today that it starts right here. It starts right here. You have the opportunity in this brand new year to let God speak to your heart and reveal to you if you are in fact a son or a daughter of God or if in fact you are outside of his family. I want you to know today that if you're outside, God loves you. He died on a cross to save you. And he will come into your life and save you and call you a child of his forevermore. It starts right here. Maybe you're here and you've already asked Jesus to come into your life to save you. But your life really doesn't reflect a change. You live under your own power and for your own uh, gratification. It starts right here. 
I would invite you to surrender this year in your life to God and let him write a new chapter in your life because he's a great, great God and he deserves a life well lived for him. God, we give you this moment. We pray that if there's someone lost that you would invite them into your grace, that you would save them and seal them with your Holy Spirit, that you would make them your very own, that you would adopt them into your kingdom forever, that they'll be willing to live for you and to stand for you every day. God, I pray for our students, middle school, high school, and college, that they will plant their feet, that they will look and see truth as truth, but they'll be weary of some of the lies that are, that are uh, presented to them as they go through their journey. God, help us today be ignited with the greatness of who you are, that we would be willing to live for you beginning right now because it all starts here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, and we'll have some deacons down here to pray with you. I'll be in the front if you want to be